Our gospel lesson is found in John chapter 10, reading verses 11 through 21 this morning. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. We confess this morning that we come before you, the one who has the great power to open the eyes of the blind, to grant us who can't see to see and to perceive the truth, and that it is you alone who digs out our ears and grants us to hear. And so we come today to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, to once again hear his call and be led by him. And so we ask, Lord, that you speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. During the weeks of Advent and Christmas, we plan to slow our pace to reflect on the Gospel of John, considering the identity and the claims of Jesus. In this, we will not just simply encounter a literary Jesus or historical Jesus or just an idea or a fiction, but who will we, we will encounter is the living Jesus, that is the one who came in the flesh, who died on a cross, who then ascended and now presently reigns over the world. And it is this Jesus who proclaims himself to us today. And he focuses on one single issue. It's the single issue then and there in his days upon the earth. And it's the single issue here and now as he ministers among us today. It's the single issue of how we respond to him, who he is and what he says, what, how we respond to him. And he leaves no room for a comfortable in-between, a limping between opinions. No, he presses us. He demands our attention, and he causes polar reactions, even as we saw in our passage. He challenges us to deal with him. Because in the Gospel of John, we have these binary polarities. We have light, and we have darkness. We have life, and we have death. We have a gate, and we have a fence. And we have thieves. We have the truth that is in Jesus, and we have the lie 
that is in the world. The issues are ultimate, and they're presented to us in that way. And there is only a yes, and there is only a no. And it is exactly this binary way of thinking that is so uncomfortable for us in the Gospel of John. We live in the 21st century after all, and our world is full of choices and it's full of options. We're somewhat allergic to this binary type thinking. It makes us uncomfortable. Is it really just a yes or a no? Certainly there's something in between because we live in a culture where nothing is necessary and everything is possible. And so why would religion attempt to press us in a yes or a no? But this is precisely the work of Jesus, to take us to ultimate issues, to light and darkness, to the truth and to the lie, to take us to the shepherd and the thief. And he challenges us to our core to respond to him. And so he speaks in these definitive, uncomfortable, binary ways. And in John's gospel, we see that there are these strong statements where Jesus says the word, I am. There's actually 14 of these statements. The first set of seven, Jesus just says, I am he. And he is quoting Exodus 3, where God reveals himself to Moses. And Jesus is proclaiming that he shares in God's identity, that he is the living and true God manifest among us. But then we find this curious set, the second set of seven statements, where Jesus once again uses the words, I am, and then he adds a metaphor to it. He says in chapter 6 that I am the bread of life. And then in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. In chapter 11, I am the door. And then further in chapter 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so today we focus on Jesus' statement in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. It's really a simple metaphor. Culturally remote for us, we're not familiar with the ways of shepherd in the same way that people in Jesus' world were, but yet it's a metaphor laden with meaning, laden with meaning from culture and laden with meaning from Scripture itself. And so what exactly do we see here in this metaphor of I am the good shepherd? Three things about the shepherd that we learn here. We learn about the knowledge of the shepherd, the deliverance of the shepherd, and also the nurture of the shepherd. And so we'll look at each of those this morning. First in verse 14, we see that the shepherd knows his own. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. It's a remarkable statement where Jesus indicates that he knows the sheep who belong to him. Just as he is known by the Father, eternally known by the Father, so Jesus knows his sheep. It's a striking statement. 
Gary Burge, in his commentary, gives perhaps the most moving modern illustration of this. He paints a true story from inside the conflict. And it is in that conflict that a local village, everyone had to flee, including a woman who was a widow. She only had her son left. And in the conflict, after it ended, she returned to the village to find that all of her sheep, her very means of livelihood, were gone from the home. And that is because during the fighting, all the local animals had been sequestered so that they would be preserved. But the problem is that now there were thousands of animals gathered in a makeshift fence. And so she went to the Israeli soldier and she asked him, do you mind if I gather my sheep? He looked at her somewhat suspiciously and sarcastically and said, how exactly would you go about that? How would you get your sheep out of all these thousands of animals? And she said, will you just let me try? And so he allowed her to do so. She sent her young son to the gate, and he opened the gate, and there he pulled out a small flute and began to play. As he played, the heads of animals began to pop up. They popped up, and then the young boy began to walk home. 25 sheep out of this herd of thousands of animals followed the young boy home. And this is the nature of shepherding. This wasn't just a modern occurrence. This is the way that it worked, whether music or the actual voice of the shepherd, as Jesus indicates here, that the sheep are tuned to it. They know the voice of the shepherd, and the shepherd knows the sheep, that this is simply the way the art of shepherding works, and the sheep hear the tune, they hear the voice, and they follow. They are compelled, and they are brought. And what Jesus explains in verse 16 is that his sheep belong to all the folds of the nations, and he brings them forth. He brings them forth by his voice, that his sheep do not recognize the voice of the hireling, that they do not recognize the voice of the thief, that they do not recognize the voice of the robber. But they come to the voice of the shepherd himself. They come to his proclamation of life, that life is in him. And friends, this is the most astounding statement that we can hear, that we are known by the shepherd. That just as the father knows the son, and the son knows the father, we too are known by the son, and we know him, and that we share in a communion with him, and that he has made all of that possible, and that he has known you intimately, personally, and he has called you out, out of that great mass of the pen. And he's called you forth to be his own. And you've responded to him. This is the knowledge of the shepherd. It's a knowledge of you personally, individually, in which he has made you part of his flock. The second thing that we learn here, though, about the shepherd, is in verse 11, that the shepherd also delivers his flock. Twice in this passage in chapter 10, we are told that by Jesus that he is the good shepherd. 
And then he explains exactly what the good shepherd does, that he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, in emphasizing this, is drawing us to something that's critical because he defines the role of the shepherd in a very specific way. It's in a particular and specific and concrete way. Twice he tells us that the shepherd lays down his life. It is one of those defining characteristics of Jesus that if you miss this, you really don't know who he is, that he comes into the world give his life for others, that this is the Father's mission for him, and he assents to the Father's will and gladly gives himself, as verses 17 and 18 indicate. And you see, Jesus didn't simply come to give a demonstration of the love of God for the world. And he didn't come just simply to defeat the devil, even though those two things are true. But Jesus comes to lay down his life as a substitute. That is, that he is the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. One, that this is Jesus' peculiar mission. That he comes in the likeness of Isaiah 53. That he is slaughtered for the sins of others. And that because he was the unique one who ascended to God's will, And he did so without deferring. He did so without hesitating. He did so without violating it. That he is the righteous sacrifice. And when we place our faith in him, we are delivered by that sacrifice. Because the one righteous man then vouches for us. The good shepherd who laid down his life in order to atone for our sins. He is then the one who advocates for us. And that we share then in the Son's communion with the Father. And this is the gift of deliverance that the Good Shepherd brings into our lives. And it's critical for us to reflect upon that very thing. That this aspect of Jesus' mission, by Jesus' own emphasis, is central to the church. That we are to be centered upon the proclamation of Jesus. But it's not simply because we say that Jesus is central, that he is indeed central. You see, because Jesus can be central in a way in which just his wise teachings are promoted. We can talk about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' wisdom and his wit. Or we can talk about Jesus' teachings on the kingdom and what he does for the poor of the earth. And all these things are true and they're critical to who Jesus is. But to keep Jesus at the center, by Jesus' own emphasis, is to keep his cross exalted and held high. What he comes to do, the defining moment of his mission, in which he is raised up in glory on the cross, this is how John defines it, that it's glory for Jesus to go to the cross, that the cross was his throne, the crowning achievement of God in which God suffers for the sins of the world in order to reconcile the world to himself. And so when we emphasize a Christ-centeredness that doesn't emphasize the cross, we're still off-center. And that the work of the church, the vitality of the church, the goodness of the church, the life of the church is dependent upon that emphasis of the good shepherd laying down his life life for the sheep 
And so we exalt this and celebrate it, that not only does the shepherd know his own, that the shepherd delivers his own. But finally, what we also see about the shepherd is that he nurtures his sheep. In this passage in John 10, there are a number, an incredible number of Old Testament references. There's references to Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 56, to Ezekiel 34. All are very strong and resonant and important to point out. There's a reference to Psalm 95, but yet most powerfully, a reference to Psalm 23, because it is in this iconic psalm, read at funerals, Christian and non-Christian, written in the KJV and hard to change, that we learn about the work of a shepherd. And Jesus adumbrates all of that, because here we learn about the nurture that he as a shepherd provides for his sheep. Listen carefully to the words. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not be in want. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. And he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For he is with me, his rod and his staff, these comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there's so much promise Why have these words been so important to the people of God through hundreds and thousands of years? And it's because of the promise of the shepherd that's present here. And the shepherd first promises to provide our needs. It is he that takes us in and out to pasture, that he brings us beside still waters, that he restores our soul, that he leads us in paths of righteousness, that he nurtures us in this way, providing every one of our needs. And beyond our own knowledge and beyond our own doing, he knows those needs better than we do, that he satisfies every want. And we see that the promise is also that the shepherd protects us. His rod and his staff, these were the instruments of shepherds. They were used to defend and to protect. They were used to ward off those who would harm the flock. And this is what our Lord Jesus does. He is the one who is your guard. He is your defense, that he watches over your life, that he is your keeper. And third, we also see that the shepherd is present with us. And we particularly learn that he's present with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. That in the darkest and most remote moments of life, in the most adverse of circumstances, it's there in that moment that the shepherd promises to be with you. It's not an abstract promise spoken to y'all, is spoken to you, that in your personal dark valley, that in your adversity, that in your suffering, in your hardship, in your trial, that Jesus is there with you. 
And friends, there's perhaps nothing more difficult for us to believe about the Good Shepherd. Because when we find ourselves in that adversity, 100% of the time we will ask the question, is he good? Because when we look qualitatively at what's happening, we do not think it's good. And we begin to ask the question, how do I know that he is a good shepherd when I look at my circumstances? And when I add it up, it doesn't seem to add up good. How do we know that he is a good shepherd? And friends, this is where we return to the cross. That for the people of God throughout the ages, those who have suffered, those who have faced adversity, those who have walked through all these trials, that we can go down into the valley of the shadow of death for one reason. Yes, he is present with us, but there is more than that. It's because the good shepherd has gone into that valley himself, and he went into that valley for you, laying down his life for the sheep, for your good. And this is the ultimate sign and the ultimate seal of God's commitment to you, that he's done this on your behalf, that he is your shepherd. And if he's given you this, then how much more will he give you everything else? Friends, this is the goodness of the shepherd. And the way we know he is good is not by looking at our circumstances, but it is looking to the cross and knowing that that cross takes even the worst moments of life and guarantees that the shepherd is with us and we're identifying with him in all of that adversity, in all of that trial, in all of that pain, and he doesn't forsake us, that he was not forsaken and that he vouches for us. And so look to him. This is your shepherd. He knows you. He nurtures you. He delivers you. This is the God who is for us in Jesus. And he challenges us and confronts us to accept all of that goodness, to receive it, and to know all the blessing of walking in communion with God, to say yes to this good shepherd. Father, we acknowledge today all the weaknesses that we bring, all of our doubts and concerns, the way that we tally up the score in our life, and that we often struggle to believe that you're good. So convince us through your son, the son, the good shepherd who's come into the world to lay down his life for the sheep. And so even in the valley of death's shadow, remind us that it was he who walked in that same place. He perfectly identifies with us, and he is here present even today to comfort us and to console us. May we know his nurture. May we remember his deliverance. And may we reflect upon that great mystery that we're known by him in the way that you know him and he knows you. Lavish us in these riches of grace and draw us out of narrow-mindedness and stinginess that we often attribute to you. And may we see all of the grandeur of grace that is ours in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.